Welcome back to another issue. I'm Beastie Boy. I'm Table. I'm Red. It is I, Shino Brando. And in this issue, we dial our clocks back to the 60s as Red and Table answer the world's oldest question, the one hidden in plain sight, Doctor Who. So, to start this off, the premise of Doctor Who is a time-traveling adventure with a main character that occasionally changes his and then her face. Short and the sweet of it. There's... Lots of jumping on points when it comes to this series, but for sake of argument and to talk about the whole thing, because all of it's important, we gotta go back to November 23rd, 1963. At exactly 5.15 in the afternoon, the original episode, An Unearthly Child, aired for a UK audience. It didn't come over to anywhere else uh, until many years later, but to lead us off is The First Doctor. Played it for the first four seasons, he was played by William Hartnell. He played the first Doctor from 1963 to 1966. This Doctor is stubborn and abrasive. He's straight up an asshole. He's a old man. He is everybody's worst nightmare at Thanksgiving. Like, he's the grandfather that you see twice a year and you go, oh, fuck, it's that guy. 100%. And I'm glad you brought up the grandfather point. His initial companion is his granddaughter, Susan. Susan Foreman. The show was born out of a need for a sci-fi educational show. And the BBC just decided that, oh, yeah, we'll just teach science with, you know, everybody's grandfather. And this then it evolved. I got two questions for you right now. Absolutely. Go ahead. First question. The first doctor, was was that like his, is that his first body? Or did he have like a generation before that? Or is so, any backstory to that? Or? The way we know it and the way we'll talk about it in this episode is he was mm-hmm. a child and then he grew up. He regenerated yeah. one time, and then we have that body. That's the first one. Okay. That's what we're discussing in this episode. So uh, sort of the fans have dubbed that the sort of pre-doctor. Baby doctor. Okay. And you said his first tag along was his granddaughter. So the doctor boinks? That yes. is... The doctor yeah. has boinked, and depending on what companion he's hanging out with, is encouraged to boink again. Oh, carry on. So we have, at the very, very beginning, 1963... So the initial episodes were laid out in what were called serials. And so each serial was laid out in a 40-minute chunk. And so there were six serials to one episode. So the initial episode were the Daleks, the, you know, ever-eternal plunger-carrying pepper shakers. (laughs) Evilest trash cans you'll ever fucking see. And they creep me out. The Daleks, their first appearance, their first episode, is six serials, 40 minutes apiece. The first doctor is just an asshole and straight up says to his granddaughter multiple times that, oh, yes, my granddaughter. Oh, yes, Susan. And like very much likes to hold his lapel like he definitely knows what the hell is going on. So as we go through this episode, I will have episode recommendations for each face of our hero. And for this particular one, it is the first episode. It is An Unearthly Child, where we first introduce the name of his vessel, the blue telephone box, which is the TARDIS. The acronym from there is Time and Relative Dimensions in Space. Eventually, Mr. William Hartnell got very sick with cancer because it's the 60s and everybody smoked six packs a day. And eventually it just catches up with you. So this man had cancer and the BBC decided that instead of canceling the show, they would devise a plot reason for another man to play the same part. And here comes Patrick Troughton, who plays the Doctor from 1966 to 1969. Nice. And he plays it through seasons four through six. This doctor is a cosmic freaking hobo. That is, is the best description of him. He is darker in tone than his predecessor and would prefer to manipulate his enemies rather than defeat them. A signature of this particular incarnation is his recorder. I promise you the purpose of this recorder is to annoy the audience and also different companions at the time. It's really genuinely hilarious to watch his companion trying to have a discussion with him. And he just pulls out a fucking recorder. And just starts piping away. (laughs) Yeah. Jesus Christ. Whether he's using it to think or whether he's using it strictly to annoy and so that way people feel like aggressive and mistakes start to happen, God only knows. But it certainly gets the job done. This is the first incarnation of the Doctor with a sonic screwdriver, the weapon of choice for just about every incarnation thus far and continuing. It is a device that is... Kind of, sort of, just a MacGuffin. It'll do whatever the writers need to do. In this particular case, it's one of the very few times the sonic screwdriver actually screws a screw. 
So here in my notes is where we mentioned that unfortunately due to the way they recorded episodes, they would reuse tape because to actually film the series and because Doctor Who was no nowhere even close as popular as a show as it eventually became, a lot of the first two Doctors are completely lost to time. So for the second Doctor, because we're still in black and white the episode recommendation for the second doctor is the power of the daleks and mm. fun story this is the episode that i very much dragged table to watch <laughs> at least most of right, right. it was really long and the pacing was really weird but it was a really good story so eventually patrick troughton said goodbye to the role and we moved on to John Pertwee, the third Doctor. He played the Doctor from season 7 to 11, and he played it from 1970 to 1974. In-universe, how they explain how the second Doctor turns into the third is because of his shenanigans and working for his species, the, mm. the species known as the Time Lords, he is exiled to Earth with no TARDIS, no screwdriver for a while, and his memories of time travel completely erased. It is with the third doctor that he ends up getting fairly well known for karate. Venusian huh? Aikido, in fact, a space martial art. Space oh. karate. So he was now kicking ass physically. This is where yeah. they went sort of hard on the gimmicks. So okay. he drives a car. He has a hmm. spaceship, an actual like genuine spaceship. His car is called Bessie and then the spaceship oh. is called the Who-Mobile. Okay. <laughs> this is where things get a little off the rocker, but that's okay. We're trying to revitalize the series, you know, and they didn't really have everything down as formulaic as it eventually got. So they were still very much kind of going, we can pretty much do whatever we want. And if people enjoy it, we keep doing that. If they don't enjoy it, then we go a different direction. And okay. by God, did they. This is the first Doctor. When the third Doctor first steps out of his TARDIS, and falls to earth, like literally falls to the ground once the TARDIS has landed, it's in color. The most notable companions of the third Doctor are Liz and Sarah Jane. Liz is kind of special because she is one of the two companions that doesn't actually get a send-off. So, to go in a little more detail, his companion Liz is on screen, and then the Doctor goes on an adventure, ends up in an alternate universe where Nazis won World War II. Classic. And when the Doctor comes back from that parallel world after saving it and doing, you know, shenanigans that way, Liz just isn't around anymore. Bye. She, she's there and then she's gone. And in supplementary material, which we'll go into later on what exactly that is, she gets a retcon and exactly why she left and how she left. But if you're just watching episode by episode, she just, she just straight gone. up disappears. One of the most notable antagonists of this particular doctor is the master. His first yes, appearance is Terror yes. of the Autons, in which oh. the master brings to life these plastic mannequins for not the first time, but we'll get there. Also not the last time. The master is another Time Lord, another one of his race, that depending on which master is talking or which variation of the doctor is talking, sometimes they were best friends. It was initially written that the master was the doctor's brother sibling in some way they have been eternal rivals since they were super little but it's good that we mentioned the master will eventually pop up with a handful of the doctors well a majority of the ones going forward in fact and they become important to a plot point later just remember that they exist when we first meet the master in our doctor's third incarnation hmm. he has already burned through 11 of his set 12 lives because that is the rule you get 12 and he's been reckless because he did a bunch of crazy stuff and he is a rebel time lord he is evil he is you know totally mustache kind of evil at the very beginning oh okay but always tends to outsmart the doctor in some way shape or form before you even ask yes there is just so much fan fiction about them so eventually the third doctor's time comes to an end and countered the face he wears the longest Mr. Tom Baker. This he is the one I know. This is the one that, with the scarf. Absolutely. Iconic is... scarf, iconic hat. Exactly. Yeah, I, this is the one I know of. Tom Baker will play the role from seasons 12 to season 18. He will play the role from 1974 to 1981. The long scarf, I'm glad you mentioned it, was actually 
a misunderstanding of how much yarn to use. The person mm -hmm. that was supposed to knit the scarf was supposed to choose one color out of the many that they were given. They, they used just it all. Kept knitting. <laughs> wow. They ran they the BBC department <laughs> out of wool, and then Tom Baker and the director showed up to put on the scarf and do a costume fitting, and Tom Baker liked the big scarf, and so did the director, and so here it is. He sets the precedent for how to play the role one part serious, one part fool. Mm. He definitely understands it exactly what's going on around him in many ways on levels that we mere humans just can't. He's, but he's, he's still got a certain levity. Tom Baker's smile, when you see him and he finally understands the whole, you know, three quarters into an episode or partway into episode one where he understands mm. exactly what's going on and he breaks out this big boyish smile that radiates through any screen you put that on. Once you see Tom Baker smile, that's that's it. It's either game over for the villains, checkmate for our heroes, or he knows how to just remove himself from the situation as he does one time. That would also be one of the first instances of one of the Doctor's favorite recurring tactics, which is to say, running away from his problems. It's a move. We can do it. It's a retreat. This is the one I got introduced to. He's my grandfather's favorite. So my grandfather used to purposely just like to spend time. His excuse was to sit down and watch Doctor Who. So I, that's the one I got introduced to. They have that's that's when I found out they had like a wicked intro, like the like the whole theme song, the whole intro. It's like stylish. From here on, I always had a kind of intro. I was kind of still too young to actually get what's going on on screen, but like always thought it was kind of cool. The Time Lords assign the Doctor another a mission. And it is end the Daleks before they ever have a chance to happen. Because they foresee a time that the Daleks and the Time and the Time Lords will enter an eternal battle. Remember that. Okay. So the Doctor is sent back to when the creator of the Daleks, his name is Davros, is just creating the salt and pepper shaker like form that they will <laughs> stick to for the rest of time. That episode is called Genesis of the Daleks. And it gets referenced by a later Doctor, and I'll talk about that then. But the Doctor is put in such a predicament that if he touches two wires together, oh. he will end the Daleks there and then. They will have never existed. And it goes back to that old principle of if you could go back in time and kill baby Hitler, would you? Oh. Doctor Who, from here on, doesn't shy away from these kind of, like, big metaphysical questions. Eventually... The fourth Doctor and Mr. Tom Baker decides he's had his time, and mm. it's time for the fifth Doctor. The fifth Doctor <laughs> is seasons 19 through 21. The fifth Doctor, Peter Davidson, plays the fifth Doctor from 1982 to 1984. This one is most iconic for being the most Brit out of the whole goddamn set. From what I remember, my grandfather did not like this one. It was all. a controversial was... one. Yeah, he didn't like him at all. So at the time... He was the youngest man to take on the role. He was 25, I believe. This man's main claim to fame in his costume is he wears a stick of celery permanently. Like a flower. And they spend a majority of an episode playing cricket. Reasons unknown. Um, this is where Doctor Who starts to get dark for the sake of dark to hang on to its audience. So Adric, which was a child companion of the fifth Doctor, puts himself on an exploding planet. And instead wow. of what a modern incarnation of the Doctor would do is go try to save that boy, the Fifth Doctor, once the Fifth Doctor and his other companion see that the actual planet blew up, they just leave. Like normally Ooh. there'd be some sort of, oh, we must go back to just before it blew up so we can get him. And because we haven't seen the body, he's not technically dead yet. But mm -hmm. no, they're just like, ah, rip Adric. The, oh, the other companion that the fifth doctor is traveling with is heartbroken but the fifth doctor is cold and callous and says something along the lines of he knew it was going to explode we left before it exploded. he went back that's his fault he made a choice and that choice was to explode i mean he's not wrong so right? the I episode told, told that so. i want to recommend is Earthshock, which is that episode that we just talked about and you can see exactly how that all plays out Eventually, time goes on, Peter Davidson takes his bow, and here comes Colin Baker, the sixth <laughs> doctor. I have dropped an image in our Discord to see his entire full outfit. Oh the best part about this outfit is that he hated it too. He was not happy that this is what they put him in, but by God is it what he's wearing. So to catch us up, 
This is Colin Baker. He plays the Doctor for seasons 21 through 23, and will play it in our time 1984 to 1986. That is not the costume he asked for. He asked for basically a leather jacket. And a regular ass black leather jacket. And oh that's God. what he got. Is he trying to be edgelord before the edgelord? Hold that thought. This is the turning point. There was lots of behind the scenes shenanigans, which I'm not going to go into at this time because we just don't have that kind of time in this episode. Almost feels like he's doing drugs consistently. Michael Maniacal is how I chose to think about him. Like, if the doctor was ever going to end up a supervillain, it would be wearing that stupid fucking coat. You know what? You know what? The coat made him do it. I understand now. It's evil, clearly. Yeah. So... Speaking of evil, an entire season of the Six Doctors run is called something very specific. It's called Trial of a Time Lord, to which the Doctor is put on trial for crimes he supposedly committed. Hmm, okay. Anybody that knows anything about court needs, means you need two sides. So the Doctor's on one side, and we have a figure known as the Balliard on the other side. Much later in the episodes in his season, revealed that the Balliard is actually the Doctor. Somewhere between his 12th and final regeneration, all of the evil and all of the hardness and callousness manifested itself and gave itself a body. And so the Valyard is hell-bent on ending the Doctor. So eventually, Colin Baker will do his time, and we will get to my first Doctor. In my watching of old Doctor Who episodes... And what they showed on American and Canadian television at the time, Ooh. Sylvester McCoy's Seventh Doctor, who played for seasons 24 to season 26 from 1987 to 1989, is what I think of when I think of old Doctor Who. He is whimsical. He knows better. He's a little bit cold, but not quite. He is. He intentionally keeps secrets for the sake of everybody around him, including the audience. So much so that his companion Ace, who is a prototype for every companion to come after her, she hates her mother. And she goes on through some history shenanigans to save a baby. And the doctor knew this three episodes ahead of time, and eventually the audience catches up. That baby would go on to be her mother, the very woman she hates so bad. This doctor would taunt a Dalek so hard it would self-destruct. So, eventually, the Seventh Doctor will do his time, but here's the unfortunate part. At the very end of the Seventh Doctor's time, the BBC ratings for Doctor Who were super down. And it's the 80s now, and a very popular sci-fi movie franchise has started. Anybody got mm. a guess in what franchise? <laughs> Star Wars. And so, the audience that was watching Doctor Who and you know, may not have been blown away by the sci-fi effects, really saw how low budget and how much the BBC didn't look like it cared about this program. And the BBC looked at the ratings and went, you know what? It's off the air. Thanks, so, Lucas. You, you went and screwed it up. So in 1989, Doctor Who was taken off the air. And these are what Doctor Who fans, myself included, called the wilderness years. It is 1989 to 1996, where the only Doctor Who content that was coming out was just the new adventures of Doctor Who, and it was just book titles. These would feature such writers as Mark Gattis and Stephen Moffat. Remember those names, we'll come back to them. And Russell T. Davies, the person that would eventually go on to reboot the franchise, but we'll talk about that when we get there. In 1995, uh, Fox... The BBC was shopping around the idea of a Doctor Who movie, sort of a, to create sort of a backdoor pilot for more episodes of a TV show. And here in Fox and Universal got the rights. And so in 1996, we have the one and only, until much later, but we'll get there, on-screen appearance of the Eighth Doctor, played by Mr. Paul McGann in Doctor Who the Movie, a made-for-TV movie that is the one movie I would call a New Year's movie. New Year's movie. Because it is hell-bent on the fact that when the clock strikes for midnight on New Year's and flips over to the next mm -hmm. year, some big bad thing is going to happen. It is most notable for featuring the Seventh Doctor returning for the movie to transform into his eighth regeneration. And the Seventh Doctor walks out of his TARDIS and gets gunned down by a gang. 
Oh. Pew pew. And when he's sent to the morgue, because humans don't know what to do with a body like that, he regenerates and we start our adventure from there. Unfortunately, Paul McGann is done the dirtiest because he has just the movie and the movie didn't, it did okay. It made its money back, but nothing like the BBC or Fox was expecting. And so Doctor Who went back into retirement for a little while. So from 1996 to 2005, a little company known as Big Finish and they produce audio dramas and they still do to this day. And that is where a lot of these supplemental material with companions actually getting departures and doctors getting rewrites and more things being explained. It's tier two canon. If the show decides it's going to write over it, the show's the most canon. So that brings us to the end of old who right. out with the old, but in with the new. Okay. So in 2005, from March 2005 to June 2005, Christopher Eccleston plays the Ninth Doctor. And here's where the season counting gets a little funny. So, All right. because I understand Old Who, and we're going to keep addressing it as one continuous series, Christopher Eccleston will play it for season 29 or series 1. Because the counting starts it? all over again. They reset, yeah. Especially mm -hmm. because a lot of the old stuff was so inaccessible that right. to make it anything farther down the line people would feel the need to go seek out all the old who and that mm. just wasn't really feasible Eccleston was the was edge doctor leather jacket and all interestingly he wasn't actually that edgy he okay. was i mean he was the first doctor we get to see dealing with a very specific trauma that happened off screen but he was mostly just kind of a cynical dude in a jacket okay <laughs> Oh, oh, he's just Chris Eccleston. I guess you. Okay, I understand. There's a lot of sarcasm because the doctor from here on goes outright sarcastic. But this is a wounded man because a an event that we'll talk about when we get there happened. At this point, what we know of is that the doctor committed double genocide. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. You're going to go in depth on that. So, you know how we mentioned earlier that the time lords foresaw an eternal conflict between themselves and the Dalek. Mm -hmm. well that conflict came to pass and the doctor is the one who ended it and you may ask how do you end a conflict between two ridiculously powerful beings that can bend the rules of time and space oh. and the answer a, was to a, kill them all you push a big <laughs> red button and end both species in one go holy shit and you know how we talked about the fact that the doctor boinked? Yes. <laughs> yeah. He, he had a wife. He had kids. At least one grandkid. Probably more. They died with the rest of the Time Lords, as far as he knows. Same. Um, um, how? He blew up Explode. the planet. Um, every Dalek and every Time Lord was on that planet at that time or in its orbit. And when the doctor pushed the big red button, game over. This doctor has fans? Lots of them. Because it was not and the Ninth Doctor's face that pushed the button, and that'll come up later. Just bear with us. The Ninth Doctor is the fallout. Correct. He is what deals with what he did. Okay. Shit. Here we are at the Ninth Doctor with his leather jacket, played by Christopher Eccleston, the almost bald man. That's <laughs> traveling around with a blonde girl named Rose. Rose Tyler whose relevance comes up and she leaves a lasting legacy on this franchise. I spoke earlier on how Ace, the Seven Doctors companion, it was very much a prototype. Rose doesn't take any shit. She's not ditzy. She is like not female empowerment for the sake of female empowerment. No, she just knows how to hold her own. She's just a competent person. Oh, I'm crushing. Go on. <laughs> she straight up because eventually they do find a Dalek. And mm -hmm. it's explained how there are still Daleks. We just don't have time for it. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, the Daleks yeah. come back. The Rest assured, okay. the Doctor okay. is really pissed about it. And Rose stands up to the Dalek Emperor and just feeds it sass and the left rights. Yeah, hey, Rose, can you, uh, can, can I get your number, man? She really was that meme. Yeah, I support Dalek rights. Dalek rights to shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, so the episode that we're going to recommend for the Ninth Doctor is a two-parter. So it's two episodes, I'm cheating. It's my episode, Sumi. So the two-parter is called The Empty Child 
and the doctor dances. This features a young boy, well, just one young boy, and then many, many people across basically a whole town whose mm. face is permanently a World War II gas mask. And the only words they know how to say are, are you my mommy? Oh, that's... Oh, oh man, see, that's, that's, that's already too creepy, man. Like, why? Who's writing this? Russell T. Davies, the very man. Well, Damn, Russell T. Davies dude. brought back the show, and this particular episode is written by Stephen Moffat, and we'll talk about more of him later. So, in this two-part episode, we happen across my favorite character, Captain Jack Harkness. A man so explosive with sexual energy, his first words on screen <laughs> are excellent bottom. Ugh. Yeah. And eventually, he will get his own spin-off show called Torchwood. And <sighs> that is, I don't want to call it adult Doctor Who because it's not. And Doctor Who is for everyone. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right, I'm not, I will not gatekeep this show from anyone that wants to learn. It's for good girls and boys, I understand. Torchwood, on the other hand, is not for good girls and boys. <laughs> it is not for your grandma. You play with exactly the many, many partners of one Captain Jack Harkness and his relationships through everything. He's also the exact opposite of a barrier gaze trope. So Captain Jack, through shenanigans and reasons, ends up being functionally immortal. Oh, okay. So he is the gay you cannot bury. <laughs> okay. So in the same episode as Captain Jack earns his Temporal Anomaly Award, the entity needs to be absorbed by the Ninth Doctor and forcing the Ninth Before, Doctor you know. to regenerate. Into the first boyfriend Doctor, David Tennant, <laughs> who okay. plays the Doctor from season 30 to season 33, question mark. He plays it through series two through four, and then he has an entire season of specials that weren't yes. released as episodes per se. So episodes usually came out weekly in the these, fall. These were TV specials. Yeah, these were these TV specials. These were kind special, of like every handful of months, a new episode would come out. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Moments after his regeneration and a power nap, the doctor <laughs> goes to fight a bug-like creature known as the Sycorax. And the leader of the Sycorax pulls out a sword and chops off this motherfucker's hand. It's very dramatic. It's a sword fight in his PJs, literally. Okay. <laughs> so because the doctor is still fresh from his regeneration, as we will learn, the Time Lords have this neat little ability that if regeneration has just shortly happened, they can regrow something. So the doctor gains a new hand nigh instantly. Beastie in particular, mm -hmm. remember that the doctor just lost a hand. It comes up later. So the doctor is absolutely one shot by a Dalek. But wow. because <laughs> David okay. Tennant, you know... Behind the scenes, they just hadn't found a replacement yet. David's tenant doctor decides he's not done with that face. And so a regeneration starts. He regenerates just enough to put himself back together and dumps the rest of the regeneration energy into that hand and creates a half-human, half-time lord entity that has David Tennant's face known as the Meta Doctor. Not his fault he exists. This causes some counting errors, because now he's been 10 twice. We have 10 and 10 too. Uh. Making us on our 11th regeneration. Uh. Remember this. So okay. eventually, Rose has to leave the show. All good things must come to an end. And uh. this would start the president with Doctor Who of bittersweet endings for our characters. Rose specifically gets to spend the rest of her life with the Doctor that she didn't intend to. The Meta Doctor. Oh, okay. She is trapped in a parallel world with a with piece this of dude. With this dude that looks exactly like her doctor with all of his memories mm -hmm. and knows exactly who they are. But because he's half human, he will eventually die just like her. And our she... doctor being functionally immortal, eventually characters have to leave the show because yeah. that would be the worst thing is you are functionally immortal how much of a shitty person do you need to be to hang on to them forever and bury them eventually? So because he's grieving now and he just lost his girlfriend, his very best female friend, however you'd like to phrase it, we start to bounce around for a couple more companions. And the first one in the now, bunch is Martha. Why did you say that name? <laughs> now here's the thing about the next couple companions. 
Okay. Martha has some great story elements. She got a little bit dicked over by the writers, but she's super cool. Donna, the one who follows her up, also fucking fantastic. My favorite companion personally. But in terms of the large scale Doctor Who narrative, they don't do all that much. So we're going to have to just bypass them for this for the most part. We do love them and they will get their time to shine in a different episode in a different way. I promise. Assuming this one doesn't get us executed by like Sheena Mm -hmm. and Beastie, you know? (laughs) But there's just not time. Not today. There just isn't time. But eventually the 10th Doctor story needs to come to an end. And an old enemy returns. The Master is back with a vengeance, capital V, and replaces every human on Earth with his face. Fucked up as it sounds. That is that is highly fucked up. And part of the Master's plan is to use nuclear energy in some way, shape, or form. The exact details are irrelevant. Okay. Genuinely. So, eventually a doctor undoes what the master does and give, gives everybody their face back but we still have some radiation to deal with and so the doctor steps into a, a glass box and absorbs all of the radiation that he had pumped in so the doctor has now absorbed all this radiation and his body just can't handle it and so it starts to break down from the inside out and he wishes us the audience and his companions because he does one last trip through time and space visiting companions before they will ever meet him specifically to roast tyler five days before she meets she goes to meet the ninth doctor goes you are going to have a good year and in the tardis where he belongs david Tennant explodes in regeneration energy and we now have the 11th doctor matt smith also funny enough this is when the show was shot in hd true hd it's also also when the previous showrunner russell t davies stepped down and stephen moffat took over as full-time showrunner not just writer this would be a mistake we later found out but Mm -hmm. fans were very excited at the time because he'd written some of the most iconic episodes in new who for 10 the episode recommendation that we will do is blink But on to Matt Smith. Matt Smith will play the Doctor from 2010 to 2013 in series 5 through 7, but season 34 through 36. Having just regenerated, the Doctor crash lands into a young girl's backyard and starts his almost entire incarnation friendship with Amelia Pond, Amy Pond. In the same episode as crashing into this young girl's backyard, we are introduced to a crack in time and space. This crack will be the MacGuffin for everything. So this crack <laughs> is her parents. This crack also contains a an alien known as Prisoner Zero. It also contains the second Big Bang. Also contains access to the Time Lords. This is the crack that keeps on giving or <laughs> taking, depending on how you think about it. Why haven't I ever watched this before? This shit sounds so fucking out there. Okay, go on. So, to pause there. (laughs) Amy's storyline is her eventual marriage to one Rory Williams. A himbo with arguably the best intentions in all of time and space. He's a good good man. Okay, he's a good boy. He's so good. His heart's in the right place. He he means well. He doesn't mean to fuck anybody over, but Jesus Christ does he. Yes, it is the crack that causes Rory to cease existing for a hot second. It eats him for a little while. Don't worry about it. A little. The episode recommendation for the 11th Doctor is The Girl Who Waited. And to give, you know, a sentence about that, the Doctor, Rory, and Amy all end up on a planet that is in quarantine. Amy ends up time displaced. So then there's two of her, one that waited 30 years for their return and one that hadn't yet. And Rory needs to decide which one to kill. (laughs) You can only take one. Because you cannot bring them both home because that's a time anomaly. And you can't have two of the same person from two different points of time exist in the same spot for too long. So you you have to And so one, his wife, at the time, there's two of them, and he needs to decide which one gets ended. You can't just leave one behind? Like, you have to kill one. That's still your wife. We'll we'll leave you with that thought. Okay. Eventually, as we've said many times, all good things must come to an end. And so... Rory and Amy, they both eventually leave the show in the saddest one-two punch Doctor Who has seen thus far. Oh. 
first and how they can no longer come back. They are, I don't want to give too much away, but they are removed from the doctor in a point in American history that he can't go to. There's so much time shenanigans and locks around it in time that he can't go there. What time period is this? 1923 in New York City. Can't go there. It would break things. It would break things. It would be too much of a time paradox and he doesn't do that. We are in modern times and they get sent back in time and the doctor can't get them. That's the first punch. Okay. The second punch is that in bonus material that was never shot but was animated and put on bonus discs and is on YouTube free to watch is a five minute addendum to the episode known as P.S. Brian. This is the note that Rory will send to his dad who is now 80 years in Rory's future telling him exactly what happened and how he will never see his dad again. It's really upsetting, actually. Like, really upsetting. But that means the doctor has now gone from his whimsical self and, you know, let's go exploring. Let's go do things. Let's go find out what the Weeping Angels are all about to I just lost my best friend. And And this kickstarts what I like to consider his midlife crisis. Oh, no. So he gives the TARDIS a makeover. It goes from this nice flashy orange that kind of looks like a jungle gym, in my personal opinion, I think it looks like a nice big house. We disagree. To muted blues and very simplistic design. It's a little bit complicated in how it, you know, the the structure is, but it's, it will come to be the mainstay of the TARDIS for the next couple after 11, but we'll get there. So (laughs) then we meet the most controversial companion to ever enter the franchise, Clara Oswin Oswald. The Impossible Girl. We first meet Clara as what appears to be a throwaway character in a one-off episode. It's a very good episode. She does a fantastic job, and it's got a great twist. And we're all like, cool. That was a cool little character. She's introduced only as Oswin, by the way. Okay. Then we meet Clara again, now going by Clara. And now she's the governess for two kids in, like, Victorian England. And we go, huh, that's weird wonder what's up with that we don't really get an answer then we meet her in the modern day going Mm. by clara oswald and this is where she sticks now clara much like amy is introduced as a puzzle she is the impossible girl why Mm. why is she doing that what's up with this except clara never becomes more than a puzzle in my opinion like as a personality she doesn't matter it's not a bad dynamic But it rapidly gets out of hand when Clara goes from a companion to vital to the doctor's entire existence. And it just gets more and more silly the longer she sticks around. She becomes so important. She ingrains herself into the entirety of mythos of Doctor Who that we've mentioned thus far. She is the entire reason that the Doctor jumped in this TARDIS in the first place, in his first incarnation, and ran away from his home planet. Really now? She told him which TARDIS to take. But Clara stays mostly bearable for most of Eleven's run. At the very end, the very last episode with Eleven, she pretends he's her boyfriend for Christmas dinner, and then, one more time... She saves the Doctor from getting basically murdered by everything in space that could be bothered. So the episode was called, it's part of a several episode finale thing. And that particular episode was called The Name of the Doctor. The Crack MacGuffin is back once again. This time in its, we've got the Time Lords on the other side, state. And Mm -hmm. they're like sending out a little signal question thing. That's, the question is Doctor Who, obviously. And the idea being, if he answers with his name, they will know it's safe to leave the weird bullshit they're in and rejoin reality. So everyone in time and space is like, actually, we think they should stay dead. The doctor's like, hmm, I don't know if I agree with that opinion. I'll be real. But he's also not gonna, you know, let in a people who might start committing genocide or something. Okay, yeah. So he's basically ready to die, 
and and he starts talking to the fucking wall having like a real heart to heart with it where she says it doesn't matter what his real name is because the only name that matters is the doctor and that works for some reason before we continue in more of 11 we have reached the time period of 2013 that makes doctor who 50 years old and so there is a special known as the day of the doctor and it is all things considered almost perfect in my personal opinion it features the return of david tennant as the 10th doctor it features matt smith as the 11th doctor it features where doctor who gets funny when we're starting to count but again this features the first full appearance of the war doctor played by legendary actor john hurt rest in peace this would be the doctor that pushed that big red button as we talked about earlier but when we meet him he hasn't done it yet he has Mm -hmm. taken the big red button put it in a barn and opened it and the thing he didn't account for was that this big red button is called the moment and the moment is sentient and takes the form of someone that is very near and dear to him in his future in his past it can't tell the difference and takes the form of rose tyler holy shit so it's a nod to us but not to him because he hasn't met that person yet confused he's like ah hello young woman there is an entire adventure with these three doctors going to victorian england uh the 10th doctor marries elizabeth the first in its finale in what i think is the greatest moment in doctor who the doctor in all of his times every regeneration of the doctor pulls their tardises together and puts gallifrey his home planet into a pocket dimension and so because all three were together the timeline needs to straighten itself out because it can't have that right and so the war doctor will believe that he pushed that big red button and ended them both and so the war doctor flies away and he regenerates into nine right there believing that he's just blew up both and that brings us full circle on that and that brings us to the name of the doctor 11th final episode where Clara whispers to the Time Lords and they grant him an entirely new regeneration. Because if you count everybody up, Matt Smith's incarnation of the Doctor is his 12th and final life. So that brings us to Mr. Peter Capaldi, my personal favorite Doctor. Oh yeah, okay. first of a new regeneration cycle, but the 12th Doctor. Because war doesn't count because he didn't call himself the Doctor at the time. <laughs> Capaldi's incarnation is cold and callous, but collected. Truly the most sarcastic, ever yeah. cynical thus far. Truly in abandon from the boyfriend ask of his 10th incarnation, his 11th incarnation. Capaldi will play this part similar to the way William Hartnell did. The first one, right? Yeah. Yeah, I had a feeling. <laughs> he like looks a, it. Like a little <laughs> bit of an asshole. He would much prefer to tell his companions what's wrong with the situation than try and show them. He cares a little bit for saving lives, but he needs to be convinced to do so. The empathy is not there. Whereas every previous incarnation except for six, vibrant and laughed and knew, like, was bouncy a little bit, this cold and callous individual is the opposite. You need to earn his warmth. And it was such a distant version that we were just used to i i clung to this the episode recommendation for 12 is i'm breaking the rule again (laughs) for two parts (laughs) is a two-parter called heaven sent hellbent these two episodes are a master class in what to do and what not to do with the doctor and his companions in one foul fucking swoop heaven sent is a spooky episode with a grieving doctor he lost something very important we're not going to give it away he it is a deep character study with only two characters in this episode the doctor and the monster that will kill him in one touch the Hmm. doctor has to go through a maze and go digging and go swimming and eventually he approaches a three foot diamond wall and the only thing he has found to get through it before the monster touches him is his own fist and Every time the monster touches him, 
He is Star Trek teleported to the beginning of this entire event, and he's got to do it all over again. The only thing that stays the same is every punch. It does, in fact, break the diamond a little bit. The doctor will spend 2,000 years punching through three feet of diamond to get to the TARDIS. He physically beats his way through the five stages of grief. For constant reset. Holy shit. And he experiences death every single time. After coming on the other side, hell bent. Or how to ditch a Clara in 2,000 years. This is the final appearance of Clara because through a series of events, the doctor forgets her. So the doctor is now not sad anymore because he doesn't remember. (laughs) And so he will encounter two more companions, Nardole, a robot man with interchangeable arms and head and legs and has been rebuilt multiple times, and Bill. Bill is the first lesbian companion on the show. She is also not quite the first companion of color, but she's really fucking close to it. Her entire first handful episodes are dealing with her girlfriend because her girlfriend dies and then eventually comes back, but is made completely of water and they make a life for themselves. It's pretty great. Again, we don't bury our gaze here. Eventually, 12's time will come to an end where he is fighting the Daleks one last time and gets Mm -hmm. hit by a rogue shot. And that sparks the regeneration, but doesn't push it all the way through because 12 is an asshole and he is determined Mm -hmm. to say when he regenerates and when he doesn't. And so in an episode, in a Christmas episode titled Twice Upon a Time, the 12th Doctor will land his TARDIS in 1966 at the Mm. South Pole where the first Doctor is in the very same predicament. So uh, one turns into two, Patrick Troughton. And 12 turns into 13. Our very first in-canon female doctor played by Jodie Whittaker. Here we are in the present. She is the doctor currently. Her story's not done yet. And so we're going to say a couple things about her, but we can't say too much about her plot because her ever-expanding plot isn't done. It's ongoing. And that would be not honest. Everybody else's story is done when we talked about them. Hers isn't. We'll talk about her a different time. Mm-hmm. As what we've I... established, Doctor Who loves to retcon the shit out of itself. So making any claims about Jodie's story thus far, can't do that. Can't do that. We don't know what's real yet. Right, right, right. But we can talk about her companions. Thus far, her companions have been Graham, an elderly white man with a heart of gold. Yasmin, or just Yaz, who is a Pakistani okay. cop. Very yeah, nice. And Ryan, uh, Graham's adopted black grandson with kinesthetic issues. Like he is in his uh, early 20s, but his grandmother and Graham are trying to teach him how to ride a bike. Oh, okay. Okay. I get you. I get you. So it's. I have someone in their 20s who can't ride a bike. Oh. Unfortunately, <laughs> Jodie Whittaker is still being written by Chris Chibnall. His name's Chris, no. and his last name's Chris Chibnall, which means that he is a middle aged white man from the UK writing our first female doctor the episode recommendation for 13 thus far is an episode called rosa where the 13th doctor goes back to when rosa parks would not go sit at the back of the bus and deals with social injustices that way so the 13th doctor encounters a person that she's never been before in the fugitive doctor what we know of the fugitive doctor is that she does not take place in between any of the times of any of the men or women that we've talked about thus far. Uh-huh. The Fugitive Doctor is somewhere in 13th's future. As of the recording of this episode, we don't know. Okay, okay. Oh, shit. We live that jazz hands life where Doctor Who refuses to let us count properly. Hmm? Correct. So, for those keeping track and you gents here, that makes... 15 people playing an incarnation of the doctor so it's one through eight war nine ten twice 11 12 13 fugitive and way back when i was talking about the sixth doctor the valyard oh yes i almost forgot yeah, about yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ. Okay. yeah 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 what i will tell our audience now here at the very end is that if this video gets let's call it 20 likes we'll do the 13th doctor properly we'll lay out her whole season in a manner that we have. We'll show the boys an episode and we'll talk through the season. 
I'd like to think right. if you're looking at the time codes, you understand why we just could not get into that very far here. There's a lot going on here. I know Table and I have thrown a lot at you. A lot, yep. Mm-hmm. Approximately 57 years of Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Give or take. Do we have any final questions? My brain hurts, but that's about it. For those that are following us on Twitter, <clears throat> at Crusade Nerd, you will find a thread that we posted this past November going through every single Doctor we've mentioned thus far and an episode to watch. So if you are confused or need sort of a play-by-play, it's there for you. Or you weren't taking notes. <laughs> there were so many notes. Gents, <laughs> any final thoughts? The shit's wicked. I should have watched this. I never did, and I feel ashamed about doing it, so I'm going to start that now. Beastie, final thoughts? Yeah. No, I my brain's still hurting, so <laughs> yeah. That's all good. So, yeah. if Table and I have set our knowledge TARDIS right, viewers at home will be hearing this two days before Christmas. So, on behalf of the Nerd Crusade, happy holidays and a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Please be safe. Actually, this episode will come out on my birthday. Oh, happy birthday. Old man, happy birthday. <laughs> you say happy birthday to Sheena. Swear to God. So, <laughs> it is my pleasure to ask Beastie if he could send us off. Well, I guess we're jumping into this TARDIS and going on toward the next adventure. Nice. But you can also join us on our socials, which is our Twitter at Crusade Nerd. Our Instagram is at Nerd Crusade. And we also upload every Wednesday to YouTube. And you can download any previous episodes or listen on your mobile device through the anchor.fm website or wherever podcasts are found by searching Nerd Crusade. And that's to be continued. Thanks for tuning in. If you like this video, go ahead and button mash a thumbs up. If you want to swing by when we have a new video, web up the sub button. Oh, and while you're at it, hit the bell to be notified by... Come on, go!